Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to this edition of Liberal Fix Radio. I'm your host, Keith Breckes, broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona today. And uh, I'm very excited tonight because we have a special guest on tonight. It's uh, Wayne Avershow. I hope I pronounced his last name right. But anyways, he's a, a long-time, I guess, uh, person involved in politics in mostly in the city of Los Angeles, and he's also the author of a very well-reviewed, very popular book called Roll the Dice, which is, I guess, um, for lack of a better term, a a political thriller, I think uh, people would call it. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Wayne to the show, and uh, I'll let him uh, talk more about himself, his background in the book, because I probably can't do justice to it, but uh, welcome to the show, Wayne. How are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm well, Keith. Thank you very much. I'm really glad to, to chat with you and your listeners. Um, I, I, w- I was very active in Los Angeles city politics uh, for years. I ran a couple of – I was political campaign manager uh, for two city council members. They both won. I worked at City Hall for both the council members different times. I was chief of staff. I served on different uh, two different commissions, city and county of Los Angeles. The, the larger commission was the Los Angeles Convention Center uh, a commission, and then I served on a commission dealing with boundary review lines, which is always very controversial. It, anywhere in the country where the lines are drawn uh, determines, in a lot of cases, who wins, candidate A or candidate B. So that was a lot of fun. And then I wrote the novel, Roll the Dice. It's available. It's on Amazon now. And thank you, Keith. It's been I'm real happy. It's, it's, it's been reviewed very well. The bottom line on the book is it's about a, a rock star's campaign for United States Senate. So I, I, uh, when people say, what is it about, I give them that, and then they pause and they look at me, and then I ask them, well, just think about, imagine if uh, Bruce Springsteen or John Bon Jovi ran for United States Senate. What kind of campaign would that be? And then people get in, get into it, and the book gets into other issues as well, more uh, universal, some non-political issues of, of men and women and fathers and sons and things like that. Yeah, very exciting. And I know, I mean, <laughs> in the last few years, I mean, both Kid Rock and, and Ted Nugent have, probably have uh, kind of book feelers out there. <laughs> Alice Cooper does it every now and then. But I, I, I kind of like the idea of Spr- Springsteen or Bon Jovi better. If we're going to have a rock star, at least... Let them not be totally out there in right field, but <laughs> but um, uh, that's really exciting. And I, I think in this in this day and age of sort of um, celebrity politics, if if you look at, uh, for example, Donald Trump, definitely not a rock star, but I mean a celebrity in his own right and stuff. That's kind of an interesting angle. And then also in the book, I, I believe the candidate is sort of. Um, uh, avoids the regular uh, campaign contribution trail or something, runs as an independent rather than as one of the party people. And, and so maybe you could talk a little bit about the protagonist and maybe tie it into how you think um, somebody might be able to maybe successfully run that way in our current political environment, maybe at a, in some states or what um, what have you. Okay. You know, I do think uh, – I'll talk about the book, but I do think it's relevant to – uh, very relevant to politics today. I obviously started, it's my first novel, uh, uh, Roll the Dice, and I started writing this long before uh, D- Donald Trump was a political figure. Sure. Although my agent, 
my, my agent said, you know, when I signed with her a couple of years ago, and then she uh, a year or so ago she was uh, looking for publishers, she said, you know, Wayne, this book really uh, uh, really fits today's world because here we got this reality TV show guy running. Okay. Um, what I try to do with the protagonist, Tyler Sloan, is make him not way out there. I, uh, he has a, a strained relationship with his father. His father was more of an establishment Democrat kind of guy. Uh, he was governor of California and almost became president. But their relationship is strained because the father was, again, a, a more establishment guy uh, uh, from a generation where a rock star just did not all of a sudden one day run for the United States Senate. And, and his son just one day decides, I'm announcing the senator from Nevada dies. And then Tyler Sloan uh, at a Las Vegas convention with the president and the Democratic and Republican nominees uh, present and on stage with him. Uh, Sloan announces, I'm running for the United States Senate as an independent. And then he conducts a campaign, like you suggest, Keith. He does not accept a, a campaign contributions over $100. I tried to make a candidate and write a candidate that people would root for. Uh, one thing I heard, and, and people, I have pro-Trump friends. I have friends that want to impeach Trump tomorrow, so I have everything. But a lot of people in 2016 did not have a candidate that they were really excited about when it came down to Trump-Clinton. So sure. some did, but some did not. So I, I, I wanted to write about a, a candidate that, hey, this guy is different. I may agree with him on some things, not agree with him on other things, but he's an honest guy. He's just going to go out there. His media advisor takes a camera and films him. He, he goes to a baseball batting cage. He walks into a Starbucks. He just shows up. She films him. She posts it on Facebook, and, 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 and there he goes. So he gets tons of free media. Wherever he appears, the cameras go because he's, he's Bon Jovi or Springsteen. So he figures out how, 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 how to make this all work. And could a candidate do it today? Sure. I, I think in, a, uh, in an assembly race, a state senate race, a congressional race, you need some money. You need some name ID. Uh, but if you have that, um, I, I think a lot of people uh, uh, would are, are receptive to a, a either third party or simply an independent candidate. Yeah, I in, agree in with Cal that. I mean, I think – sure, go ahead. No, I was going to say in California – uh, the, uh, uh, the Republican Party is, is declining in numbers. Uh, decline to state is, is, is in, I think, in the low 20s in terms of percentage of registered voters. And in Nevada, where, where the book is set, uh, it's also in the high 20s, decline to state. There's a lot of people that may look at some issues and say, you know, I'm with the Democrats on this issue, I'm with the Republicans on this issue, but I'm really an independent man or woman. And I'm, I'm receptive to an independent campaign. Absolutely. I, I think that's true. I mean, I think a lot of people, um, both parties are, are very unpopular. If you sort of just ask the generic question about, you know, <laughs> whether people support or, you know, uh, uh, approve of the Republican or Democratic Party, both are underwater. I think at this juncture, the Republicans have a slightly lower Rating, but neither party is seen as popular. Neither leadership in either party, certainly not the congressional leaders of either party. And so I think there's an opening there for sort of independence. I think the thing that usually works against them 
is the way our political system is structured. But certainly I think you could argue that even some of the up-and-coming candidates of the last year have been sort of, even if they've had the party label, some of them have sort of run as nonpartisan, independent-type candidates. I think of like Schwarzenegger's run for governor in California or even in the last presidential cycle, to some extent, Trump um, was sort of an independent at the time. He's become sort of a more conventional Republican in some ways since being elected. But at one point, his views were kind of all over the place. He had some liberal and some conservative ones. And then I think in some ways, Bernie Sanders, even from the left, was sort of running as an independent non-insider right. candidate, even though, of course, he'd served a long time in the Senate and House. So so in that sense, he wasn't really an outsider. But his campaign was sort of outside the, you know, the conventional um, superdelegate sort of uh, realm of the establishment, at least. So I think some people glommed onto him. And not all the people that supported his candidacy were were sort of left-wing socialist type people. Some of them were just people that wanted, <laughs> you know, sort of a change to shake up the political system. So there were some relatively conservative people who supported him and then went over to Trump rather than supporting Clinton. So I think it's that way your uh, your protagonist. Well, in some ways, because you wrote the book before Trump and, and some of them were on the scene, it's, in some ways it's sort of prescient. I don't know if it was intended to be predictive in any way, but it certainly has some elements of that to it. Um, any well, thoughts thank on, you. That you know, on that? <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I wrote it, again, without... At the time I started writing, I started writing it years ago, and the writing process, I won't bore you or your listeners, but it's, you know, I have a full-time job. I'm an attorney. So it took me a while to write the book, and once you write it, you think, aha, I'm done. And then, of course, an editor looks at it and makes makes a bunch of changes, and an agent looks at it and brings in her uh, editor, and then the publisher brings in their editor. So it just takes a long time. So I start writing this without predicting uh, we would have a celebrity candidate. But I did want to write a novel, again, for a candidate you'd root for and a different kind of candidate. I, 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 it would be kind of a dry book if it was just um, some accountant uh, in Phoenix running for uh, a Congress without you know, much excitement or, or, or anything different. You have to write something that's different. Or as, as sure. a, writing a writing coach I had, show us something we haven't seen before. So we have a rock star running for U.S. Senate. And again, a, a rock star, and I tried to infuse uh, the candidate with his rock star uh, feelings and history, uh, for better or worse. You know, he in his younger days, um, you know, he, he, he partook of, of substances. Uh, he had a number of... Uh, 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 flings with women, and then he matured into a more a substantive man. Um, but he he looks back at his life. He turns fifty and goes, you know, I'm 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 famous. I have a, a lot of money, but I want to do something else. I I I, I want to make a difference. And you talk about Sanders and Trump. There was a line I used in my book where Sloan was at at a speaking engagement, and he just told the the. the audience to shake it up, shake it up. And I think the Sanders voters and the Trump voters uh, in their primaries were voters that wanted to shake it up. Uh, and, 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 and I think they did. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. <laughs> they certainly did. Um, and one thing, too, too, for our listeners who just joined us, we're talking to Wayne Aversow, who is author of Roll the Dice. And when I said it was highly reviewed, I mean, uh, 98% of the reviews on Amazon gave it five or four stars, and perhaps no more interesting, nobody gave it one or two, so nobody panned it. There were, I guess, 2% of the people that gave it a, a middling rating, but I mean, <laughs> it's pretty unusual to see a book that nobody says that they didn't like, so I, I think that's an accomplishment in its own right. Um, and I, I think, uh, we're talking about the protagonist, I think one thing, too, is you might want to, point out some of the complexities of the character. I think you alluded to them a little bit about his background, but one thing I'm interested in that I haven't seen from the reviews is I'm kind of curious what kind of uh, opponent or opponents uh, you put him up against. I don't want to, I don't want any spoilers because sure. I want people to buy the book, but if you can maybe tease it out a little bit. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, okay. He's runs against a Democrat and a Republican and there's there uh the democrat is is bill rogers and uh he's kind of a solid uh democrat he's, he com- comes up through the ranks and he's nothing uh uh brilliant or or bad he's just he, he's kind of blah uh but he has all the uh, uh democratic forces behind him because the book is set that the democratic uh, senator from nevada dies and the senate is, is now up for grabs. If the Democrats win, uh, um, they'll have 50 votes plus the vice president, a little bit like today, but different parties. If the Republicans win, they'll have 51 votes. So whoever wins this election, Democrat or Republican, controls the United States Senate. So a lot's at stake. So my candidate, the independent Tyler Sloan, is running against both parties. They're coming in with, with money, endorsements, uh, all the special interests on the left and and on the right. Uh, so Bill Rogers has has all that power and muscle behind him. The Republican nominee is a woman, Chris Collins, who is a former newscaster, a very mediagenic uh, candidate. Uh, but Sloan is quicker than her. Sloan is a little uh, more clever, and and she kind of uh, uh, repeats the party man- mantra. And so you have two candidates that are locked into their uh, parties, locked into those sort of set views, if you will, that we all could think about, okay, Republican stands for these three principles, Democrat stands for these three. And then Tyler Sloan kind of uh, charges up the middle and goes a little left and a little right. Um, you know, he's, he's for gun control, uh, but he's also for school choice. So you have a little left and right. So I don't make it, uh, uh, it's a novel, and it's not overly political. It's set against a political campaign, and I tried to make it about a man because we've all hit milestones. Uh, uh, My son today is 25. Okay, that's a milestone. But when you turn 30 or 40 or 50 like Sloan, you reflect on your life, and Sloan reflects, and he decides, I, I, want, to be, I want to do something different. I, I, I've succeeded on stage. I'm in the Rock Hall of Fame, sold a lot of records. I did a movie, and now I want to uh, uh, do something more meaningful. So he, he charges off, and it gets into the father-son relationship, his father, Mike. It's, it's tense because they uh, grew up, and they had great success in different worlds. His father in Congress and governor of California, uh, Tyler, uh, 
in concerts, records, and movies. Uh, so you have that, and you also have a man who looks back at his life and he goes, you know, I, I really miss having a, a meaningful female relationship. He's had a lot of one-night stands, as rock stars uh, uh, have had. Uh, um, he had a failed marriage. He has one uh, daughter he adores. Uh, but, you know, he hasn't found that right woman yet, so he thinks about that. And he meets that right woman uh, in the course of the book. So we won't go further than that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. I think the complexity of the character is probably why it's very well-reviewed, and I think even for those of us who aren't maybe rich and famous or at the top of any profession, we can relate to a lot of those sort of different um like you said, sort of different milestones or, or life point junctures and, and kind of looking back and reflecting on, you know, the things that we maybe accomplished, but also the things that we hope to have in our lives that maybe don't always <laughs> work out, in the, at least in the first parts of our lives, and, and sometimes we go back and try to achieve those things. So that's very interesting. I Also, um, the sort of representation of the uh, two other party candidates is, is kind of interesting. I think sort of the people who toe the party line and make the independent candidates seem compelling. I'm kind of reminded of the uh, Minnesota governor's race when Jesse Ventura won. The other two candidates were probably in the political world perfectly sensible choices in, in Norm Coleman on the Republican side and, and Hubert Humphrey's son, whose first name I forgot, it might have been just been Skip or Hubert Jr., but um, both of those people had had well-established sort of political credentials. Neither of them were really extremists in their own party, and yet they were just kind of blah when Ventura jumped on the scene. So he sort of um, caught them off guard and was able to win. So I see some some parallels there. For some reason, I, I could certainly see a rock star kind of pulling in against, say, you know, uh, I don't know, a Diane Feinstein and, and somebody on the Republican side who's sort of a mainstream Republican and being more energizing for a lot of the voters than, than either of the conventional candidates. Um, I was wondering too, in terms of your, um, maybe what, uh, what encouraged you to write the book and what, if there were any political experiences that you had in Los Angeles that were sort of instrumental in that, or if it was more of sort of a composite and there wasn't any one or two particular things that sort of, motivated you, but if, but if there was sort of a bunch of factors, I, uh, maybe you could uh, share a little bit of that with us. Okay, and, and your Minnesota analogy I like very much because, uh, you know, let's look back. I mean, you have a good memory. Jesse Ventura, I mean, it was just so shocking. Uh, the wrestler wins. I mean, it, Minnesota is a big state. I mean, it's just so shocking. It's not, some, you know, mayor of a small town or something. Um, sure. And, and that, it was and what he did, yes, and my candidate kind of does the same. He, he runs up the middle, but he draws from both sides because he's much more exciting and he relates better. He's the kind of guy um, when uh, uh, the Kennedys, uh, uh, the, the great Kennedy family, um, they did well because they could relate to uh, uh the upper class or the working man. And I thought the best sure. one of all time was Bill Clinton. I mean, Clinton could go speak at Harvard one day and then that evening go to a bowling alley and get along with people. So 
uh, Bill Clinton had that type of uh, ability to get along and relate to people, and I try to instill in Tyler Sloan that same type of uh, a charm, if you will. And I saw Clinton speak uh, uh, twice, and he was mesmerizing. He just he just had it. He had that. So what did I draw from? Um, I, I, I guess it's a good question, Keith. And and I, I draw from, I one long ago and then one in my life. Long ago when I, I, I was a young man, before I could vote, uh, 1968 happened. And I'm reading a book right now, Lawrence O'Donnell uh, from MSNBC wrote a book about 1968, which is a fascinating year, uh, uh, certainly fascinating political year. It's a, a, a sure. great Democratic battle. Uh, Eugene McCarthy, Gene McCarthy, anti-war candidate Bobby Kennedy. Lyndon Johnson decides not to run. Hubert Humphrey comes in the race. Republican side, you have Nixon. You got uh, Mitt Romney's father was in there. Uh, Nelson Rockefeller was in there. These giant names of, of, of that mid-century. So 1968 was a tumultuous year. But I, I remember being, and in, in, I had an older brother that almost went to Vietnam, and there was a feeling in, you know, in Los Angeles it was an anti-war feeling, and, and, and you, you see it on TV and the rallies. And I guess it started then that uh, I didn't trust either party on Vietnam. I, I, I was too young to go, uh, but I, I, my brother wasn't, and I wasn't that far away from it. So I, I, I had a little distrust, if you will, for, for both parties, because neither one was solving that hor horrific problem in Vietnam. So the independent candidate made sense to me. And then in Los Angeles, I, I ran a campaign. Uh, uh, I was uh, 23 years old. I was in college, and I was offered to run a Los Angeles City Council campaign. So I actually took a semester off, and it was the most unlikely candidate. He was 26. I was 23. And we laughed till this day. Uh, uh, you know, it's, how did he win? His name was Zev, Z-E-V. Yaroslavsky, a difficult name, but his first name Zev was great. I mean, we had a, a you know little button bottle caps with with just Zev, C E V. So Zev was so in that campaign, we didn't have the money that the other candidates did. We had to be more creative. We had to figure things out. Zev had to campaign like a madman. He was just going out all the time, uh, knocking on doors, going to movie lines. He was everywhere. So I, I was always impressed with Zev's effort, and, and he's a friend to this day. He served 39 years in Los Angeles City and county government. Um, so Tyler Sloan has that work ethic. Uh, Tyler Sloan, the independent that we did not have in 1968 to, to end the war in Vietnam. 68 um, was our, uh, a general election between Nixon and Humphrey, and each of them were just basically continue the Johnson policy in Vietnam, which was a failed policy. Um, so I always like the independent voice, the person that frankly will, 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 will just kick it a little bit uh, uh, and, and be different and, and, and be bold and not be afraid to uh, be bold. I, I, that appeals to me. Yeah, and I think a lot of the, yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> the really frustrating thing about sort of a lot of the recent candidates, I mean, you think of the Democratic side, uh, Hillary Clinton or John Kerry, some of those people, I, anything but bold, you know, <laughs> so, right, so it's right, really frustrating right. if you're 
try to defeat the other side. And I guess the same could be said about, you know, say Mitt Romney or, or some of those candidates. I mean, I think Trump was fairly bold, maybe not in the way that we that some of us would like, but at least, I mean, you give him credit for sort of <laughs> not running as a conventional candidate and taking some risks. And so I think that's interesting. And I, I appreciate uh, your Los Angeles Council story as, as a guy who's done a lot of um, political field work and, and seen it work successfully. I'm always, I'm always happy to hear field pitches of unlikely candidates winning. And it, it does seem like those are especially common in sort of uh, city council races and some of those races where it can really make a difference where often the hardest working candidate can win regardless of what they think are in school board races. Obviously, L.A. city council races, those aren't small races, but, I mean, <laughs> they're still smaller than the state right. of California or something like that, so it gives sort of outsiders a chance to maybe make a splash. So that experience is interesting and I think speaks well to your sort of knowledge of politics both from sort of the insider perspective but also just from the perspective of of running successful campaigns or, or finding ways to win and finding ways to win by maybe having messages that are bolder or different than what the establishment has and i know in los angeles they go through sort of periods of stagnation and and energy where where sometimes the status quo seems to settle in and then, you know, somebody comes along and wants to shake things up and sometimes they succeed and sometimes they don't, but it, it makes them more interesting, I think. Um, and for our listeners, we just joined us again. Now we're getting close to halfway past the hour, but our guest is Wayne Aversow. He's uh, the author of um, Roll the Dice, which is a political thriller about an independent uh, rock star, literally rock star candidate in Nevada running for the U.S. Senate and uh, a political independent who um, kind of doesn't fall into the party norm, and, and so um, it's it's an interesting book with a lot of complexity to the main character, and it's written by Wayne, who is uh, who has a long career in sort of the political realm and, and um, has has a lot of life experience that he probably draws upon to to make the characters interesting and to sort of form the basis for his book. Um, I think what else uh what else can we say about the book without giving too much away um is, uh, in terms of um things that pe- people might be interested in sort of uh checking out well Tyler Sloan he, he again he was in the he's in the Rock Hall of Fame uh, in my book he's in the Rock Hall of Fame um it it colors his thinking his 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 career his background he was a teenage uh, a kid who sang in bands in Los Angeles, and then they, they, they did clubs in West Hollywood, and he just worked his way up. And his world is, 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 is a rock and roll world. So that colors his thinking as opposed to somebody that grew up in a more conventional uh, lifestyle. It colors his thinking. He drops uh, um, lyrics uh, or song titles, song titles more uh, uh into exp- how he explains uh, his positions. He, he when someone, uh, uh, his advisor said, well, your last speech wasn't exactly, you know, a, a great speech. And he, he, his response is, well, Mac- not every song McCartney wrote was yesterday. So he, <laughs> it, it brings, yeah, it, 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 it brings his, I, I tried to make him real, somebody you'd, you, you could imagine that, yeah, this guy was a rock star. 
Now he's in Las Vegas, he's on stage, and Las Vegas, it's, it's interesting what, what's changed. Uh, not that many years ago, Las Vegas was a place where singers would go. It was really old, an older crowd, if you will. But in the sure. last 20 years, uh, you know, people from the 60s and 70s, Rod Stewart's had a residency there. Uh, uh, but, but now y- younger singers are, 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 are going there, and an uh, EDC crowd is there. Um, so you get electronic music, you get... Uh, I don't think you get a lot of rap music, but you get country music, you get pop stars, you get rock stars, and they have residencies where they'll be at a hotel for, you know, play 10 days in, in, in over a three-week span or something like that. And that's what Sloan does. He gets a little comfortable there. He doesn't have to write new music. He, he, he can rely on his hits. And he gets a little bored with it, though. And in life, we all have to. I've had three careers. Uh, I was in politics. Uh, in government, and I've been a lawyer. So, um, and I, I worked in, in real real estate for a while, which isn't as much fun as politics. Uh, um, so, it, Sloan gets bored, and we all have to have new challenges in in life. Um, at least I do. I, I I couldn't do the same thing for fifty years. So, I, I try to make Sloan, you know, multifaceted, multi-dimension. Um, to have him, uh, but he's he's done in uh, by some of his people around him. So a campaign, and Keith, you've worked in campaigns. Everybody who's been in campaigns, campaigns are short time frames. It's not like a regular job. A campaign, you know, could last a year. A local one could last six months, and this one lasts three months. Sloan announces in June, special election in August. So. Everything's condensed. Everything's heightened. The tension is heightened. Uh, the forces of opposition are heightened, and the pressure is heightened. And Sloan's under that pressure because he's only got you know 90 days until the election. Let's go. You got to get going, and it uh, I think creates an urgency that uh, uh, I've been told, and I repeat with modesty that it moves the book along because the election's coming, and. Um, so that, I think, helps the book. And you mentioned uh, Amazon ratings. It was interesting. Everybody wants to know what the review has to say. I remember I, I, I won an award for, for the book um, before it was published, and it was so thrilling to me. It, it validated me from a, a very uh, uh, well-known review source called Kirkus, K-A-R-K-U-S, oh, one of yeah, the best. Yeah, sure. One of the best unpublished books before I, before I had an agent, and that gave me the confidence to go out and get an agent. But you read the reviews, and when I I, I was reading these Amazon reviews, and four stars and five stars, I was so happy. Oh man, this is great! And then uh, somebody wrote three stars, and I read it, and I thought the worst thing she said or what bothered her was it, it was advertised as a political thriller, and she viewed it as a political drama, not a thriller. So I thought, well, that's... Oh, maybe not enough not, murder or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, so so I, I got a C-plus from her, B-minus, but um, I, I didn't think that should have knocked it down. But okay, I mean, it, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. So like, I have friends that love politics, that love the book. I have friends that just don't read novels, so that, you know, that's it's not uh, on their plate. 
the exciting thing is we, we're, we're, my agent is going to be presenting the novel uh, for film rights. So it's not done yet, and it, I don't know if it'll be done uh, soon or, 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 or months from now, but that, that would be exciting. Yeah, it would, and I think um, based on what, you know, I mean, I, I think it would, people would watch it. And uh, I know a couple of the reviews I saw interesting uh, were names that I recognized were political figures. So Via Rigosa viewed it, viewed it positively or reviewed it positively, as did um, Zeb, the guy you helped elect. <laughs> so right. Naturally, he probably right. liked the book. But, I mean, it, it was, uh, you know, really good. And, and, I, um, and just on a note, too, uh, yeah, the I like how you describe the campaign world because it is very true that um, uh, that can move things forward because they are very short-lived. So interestingly enough, kind of parallel to, um, so you've had Los Angeles experience. I worked on a congressional race there for about two months because it was a special election with a whole bunch of candidates. So that was a 60-day time frame. And I also worked as an organizer for Bernie Sanders in Nevada, as a matter of fact. So that was a really early primary. So I got there in in December, and, and it was all over in February. So that was another 60-day thing. And, <laughs> and the Las Vegas connection there, I actually ended up working in a couple of rural places, Pahrump and Mesquite. Um, but for a while, we were working out of the Southwest Las Vegas office. But the joke was that Las Vegas is the toughest town in America to sort of knock doors in a conventional political sense because people work all kinds of odd hours and they don't have the kind of sense of community in a way like a Midwest town, like somewhere in Iowa might, or even a neighborhood in Chicago where you can sort of, <laughs> you know, interact with people and, and get known in the community and make things happen. So, so Las Vegas is a little bit different that way, which almost kind of tying back to your book kind of makes it almost the perfect place for an unconventional candidate, rock star type guy to be from because it is such a, in many ways, a unique and totally different city than anywhere else. I mean, you can't even do politics the same way there. And, and so it's not a bad spot for sort of an unconventional candidate to launch a, a statewide or, or even a national campaign from that would be outside the box. Um, any thoughts on well, sort of... That dynamic. Yes, yes. Well, it, it's interesting your experience. I hadn't thought of that uh, in Las Vegas. It'd be so hard to knock on doors. I, I don't have Sloan knocking on doors. I, I have him using Facebook a lot, um, and his media advisor posting every day because he can just get attention wherever he goes. You know, he he uh, he went, sure. uh, and I have a lot of scenes throughout Nevada, uh, Reno, uh, Lake Tahoe, but I always. Uh, I'm, I'm a Los Angeles guy, so I've been I've gone to Las Vegas, you know, years ago with my parents, and 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 and, and as a young man, and 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 now, and I find Las Vegas just a fascinating city. So I, I uh, use Las Vegas as as a base for Sloan, and there's no city in America like it, maybe no city in the world like it. It's just and and it's tremendous. You know, people there's a recklessness. They could gamble. Hundreds or thousands of dollars on on one hand, one blackjack hand, or roll the dice, or you can also drive and and see you know some real human tragedy, a homeless problem, uh, people with with, with 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 on meth. So it's a fascinating city, and it's a real city. Over a million people live there. They have a hockey team, and the the Raiders are going, the NFL team. So 
it, it's to me, it's fascinating though. And in Las Vegas, I, I think uh, it becomes a, a character in my book. Uh, and Nevada, small towns uh, are are interesting. And if you drive, you drive from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, man, you have a lot of desert in between. So, and you drive in Nevada anywhere you go, and and there's some. Uh, uh, there's a beautiful spot in Las Vegas, anybody's going there or lives there, uh, called Red Rocks. It's this natural preserve, federal government land, where you can hike and there's waterfalls, and it's 30 minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, and you feel a mile apart. You feel a world apart from Las Vegas. It's, it's just, to me, Nevada's a fascinating state. Yeah, yeah, in many ways. And it's also, uh, it's a state with the fewest or the lowest percentage of people that lived there that were born in the state. So <laughs> that kind of creates a, a sort of mystique uh, um, around it or sort of a, 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 a transientness to to its um, culture or something. Is Again, like sort of opposed to like a Midwest state like Iowa or North Dakota where a lot of the people that lived there were born there. So it's a very different kind of environment. And I think one that allows space for people to sort of experiment or or, <laughs> or maybe to not have their past haunt them completely because not everybody they run into knows them. <laughs> so, um, right. so I no. think that's kind yeah. of an interesting angle there. Go ahead. Right. Well, in Las Vegas, I mean, the old advertising line, you know, we, 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 what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And people do go there for many reasons. I mean, one is the cost of living is far less than in Los Angeles or Southern California. A lot of job opportunities in, in the gaming industry. Um, I remember going there when I, I was in my, I don't know, 21, 22. My buddies and I went to this club, and it was late. We went to a concert, and then we went to this club afterwards. So I asked the uh, bouncer, security guy, uh, it was late. I wanted to know, you know when they closed. So I asked him, well, when do you close? And he looked at me like I was a crazy. He said, why would we close? I said, well, I don't know why you would close it. You know, but in Las Vegas, they don't close. There's so many places just keep going because, like you said, there's a, there's there's blackjack dealers or waitresses getting off work at two in the morning, and they and they want to do grocery shopping or they want to go to the dry cleaners. So there's a whole other world there that's that's 24 seven, and it's it's fascinating. Sure. Yeah. Most certainly. And. Um, I guess so. If you've just joined us, we're at about 7:38 Pacific time, 10:38 Eastern. Our guest is Wayne Aversow. Um He's the author of "Roll the Dice," uh, a person with lots of experience in politics, and also a, an attorney, and someone who's written a, a novel that is very, very well reviewed, as we mentioned earlier. Um, thought maybe changing gears a little bit, um, sort of um, tying back to some of the parts of the novel, but also just sort of. Looking at the current political environment, um, do you see um, celebrity sort of celebrity senators or representatives and celebrity governors and stuff as something that's that you think might continue to even increase from what it is now, or or do you think um, there will be a backlash against it because of of maybe Trump not being successful if some people view him that way I, I guess not everybody thinks he's unsuccessful but <laughs> um, or what, right, what do you right. sort of see as the future of celebrity candidacies I think the door is wide open and I say that um, 
you know, you mentioned wrestler Jesse Ventura in California. We had Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, but it's all, it's all over because what does a celebrity uh, bring to a campaign? First thing they bring is that people know them. Okay, in Minnesota, when I heard Al Franken was running for the United States Senate, it was just what I didn't quite get it. And then you know you look at his background and he speaks and he was a smart guy. Um, but Saturday Night Live, he went from Saturday Night Live uh, to the United States Senate. So, and and now in New York. Uh, Governor Cuomo is being challenged by, he's kind of like a Hillary Clinton, he's been challenged by a female Bernie Sanders. Oh, yeah, yeah, Sex in the City. Yeah. Sex in the City. I've forgotten I mean, about her running Cynthia yeah, Nixon. You know, every woman, I, yeah, look, it was a great, I, I loved the show, but every woman I knew. Uh, but, you know, I saw one little clip of her. She seems like a smart woman and tough. And uh, so she would not be running for, for governor of New York, and that's a big-time job, unless she had her celebrity status. And I'm not putting her down when I say that. Tyler Sloan would not sure. have run for Senate. But for – because, uh, um, you know, Cynthia Nixon, we, we're all tempted to call her Miranda, you know, if, uh, uh, from the show. But – she can walk into a room now in New York or a shopping center, and people go, hey, there she is. They may call her Miranda, but people know who she is. And that's a big thing in politics. You don't have to spend a lot of time and money building up your name ID. Uh, you have it. So I could see uh, an athlete, uh, um, you know, a famous – any sport – could could uh, although so, some of them make so much money they may not want to, but you know if LeBron James stayed in Ohio and stayed with the Cavaliers, could he run for office in Ohio? I think so. Um, could uh, uh, you know Clayton Kershaw, the Dodger pitcher? I, I I think he's from Texas. Could he go somewhere and run for public office? Sure. Um, so a celebrity can do it uh, in in California. Ever since I was a child, there was always rumors different candidates would run for public office. Uh, about 10 years ago, people were asking George Clooney if he would ever run. Uh, but, you know, he just it, – it, it's too nice a life that, that I think he, he has and others uh, to, to do it. But, yes, if, if a rock star, a, a movie star, a TV star, an athlete, you name it, uh, whether you like Trump or don't like Trump, what he showed everybody was that instant name recognition uh, from his businesses and from his reality shows. And his reality show, The Apprentice, when it first started, it really was a clever show. Uh, even if you hate Trump, I, I, I hope you can acknowledge it was a clever show. Uh, like a lot of shows, after a while, it kind of runs its course. But it was just stunning to me. He got, he, he got the nomination. But he did, and now he's president. Uh, it sort of defied uh, the odds. But, um, again, every celebrity starts off with name recognition and usually money. Uh, um, Schwarzenegger had money here in California, and everybody knew he was, and it was exciting. I saw him at one event. It was an exciting event. I, I went there for the you know, the atmosphere and the thrill. I wanted to see the guy. Uh, and it, it, it's just more fun than uh, going to a, a, a typical uh, candidate's event. I've been to a lot of those over the years. 
Yeah, I, I think that's true. And I, I, you know, thinking about it, I mean, what two things does every new candidate need? It's access to money and name recognition. So <laughs> if you're already a celebrity, with you know, whether it's Clayton Kershaw or Tom Brady or Bon Jovi, Bruce Springsteen, I mean, you already have the built-in name recognition and uh, and and uh, probably money as well. And and on top of that, I think your name recognition comes from a position where people are sort of conditioned to like you. I mean, they'll they'll like your music or they'll like your TV show or they'll like, you know, that you won the basketball championship, whereas people who rely on name recognition from being a <laughs> senator or member of Congress, uh, they're often in bodies that aren't that popular. So even if they have name recognition, there's, there's always some, there's often some negative baggage with them, particularly in legislative bodies. But even governors and uh, are often sometimes have to make tough decisions or mayors. So at, at some point they develop, um, you know, people who don't like them. Whereas if you're a rock star, you haven't, <laughs> at least at the point of entering the race, before you've identified your ideology, you really haven't made any decisions that are likely to offend people unless unless it's just you're not, not their type of music. But I think right. even if somebody's a country fan or something, I think they still respect what people do. So even though I'm a rock and roll guy, you know, if, if, if uh, Taylor Swift or, or Carrie Underwood ran, I would acknowledge that they're good at their genre of music and I wouldn't hold it against them the way I would hold it against somebody for being, say, a right-wing Republican. <laughs> Somebody's like, oh, she's country western, yeah. I'm not going to consider her. No, I wouldn't do that as a, you know, um, as a voter. So I think they come in with sort of um, not only name recognition, but probably a positive public image. I even think of, you know, people talking about Oprah. I don't know what I think about an Oprah candidacy, but there's no question that she has a, you know, a public profile. She has money and, uh, and is relatively popular across a broad segment of the population. So she she would be a candidate that you certainly couldn't dismiss offhand. You know, I mean, she I think she'd be formidable in any kind of political race. So. I agree with you 100 percent. And and she's very smart, articulate, uh, a great demeanor. She seems like a. It sounds silly, but it seems like a nice, warm human being. Um, it's hard to dislike Oprah. Again, if, if, if you're pro-choice, you don't like the pro-life person. If you're pro-life, you don't like the pro-choice person. Okay, there's votes that people cast that, that gain, gain supporters and lose supporters. Oprah hasn't lost any supporter yet. And in politics, yeah, I, I learned this a long time ago, but people a lot of times vote against somebody they may not even care, sure. and, I, and it, it's true in today's world. If you're a Democrat running for Congress, I think every Democrat's going to get up there to candidates' form, candidates' debate, and be just hammering Trump. They'll hammer Trump because that plays well to that crowd. You go to a Republican uh, congressional debate, they're going to hammer Nancy Pelosi. You know, my opponent's going to support Nancy Pelosi, so... You know, Trump and Pelosi are kind of the, 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 the bad folks, if you will, that are easy to run against. Um, and, and that's just the way it works. It may not be good, but that's the way it works. I think that's true. And that, that part of that is kind of what makes the uh, political parties sort of predictable, that they'll throw out their boogeyman. And so you know, 
the Democrats will run against Trump, and it'll be effective with their base, and the Republicans will run ads in every congressional district against Pelosi, and it'll be effective with their base. And then you have a, a significant portion of the population, and I, and I actually see it in my current job working for a congressman, but when you just kind of go out and talk to regular people in the small communities or wherever they are, the people that aren't that don't eat, breathe, and sleep politics, so they're now watching the Rachel Maddow show or the Sean Hannity show, they're just regular people, they can lean left or right, but mostly what you hear from them is that they're tired of both parties and they're tired of the fighting and they just want people to get something done. So those are the very people that would, would be interested in, in voting for Tyler Sloan because he might be a little right. left and a little right and a lot down the middle, but they're just happy that he's not one of these other stooges that they're so used to that it's become boring, you know. Right, right. No, no, born is not good in politics. And you're right. There's Most people just want solutions. It, it, you know, it, you can take the hottest issue of all. Gun control is a very hot issue. Yes, there's people on one end of the scale that don't want really any regulations, uh, you know, or, or minimal regulations. The other sure. end wants to – the other uh, uh, opposite end of the spectrum wants to uh, – let's revoke the Second Amendment. Who needs a gun? Okay. Most people are somewhat in the middle, that they, they see a problem, they see too many guns, they see the, 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 these assault-type weapons, and let's get a solution that, that allows you know, a single woman to have a, 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 a handgun to protect herself, but does not allow a, 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 a background checks that prevent the, the, these madmen, and they're usually men, uh, from, from from shooting up uh, uh, bars or schools, it's it's a tragedy. Most people just want a solution. They don't care if it's a Trump or Pelosi solution. Most people just want a solution on gun control. And again, there's there's 20 percent on each end that can't stand the other side that you know won't listen. But most people, I I, I think, want solutions. I do. I'm hoping. Yeah, I think that's very true. Well, you know, Diane Feinstein, I'm in California, and she's being challenged uh, uh, in the Democratic primary from the left. And she, I think she's going to win, but I'm pretty certain she's going to win. But the knock against her is that she's too moderate, that, you know, she's willing to work across the aisle with Republicans. And some people, uh, you know, that drives them crazy. But uh, yeah. I, I think she's going to get that's the way it is. Yeah, I think that's it. But yeah, I mean, I, you raise a good point there. And I think, um, I, yeah, I think a lot of people want solution-oriented politics and um, they don't feel like they're getting it from the two parties right now. And it seems like the polarization may be getting as bad as it's ever been. I mean, not that it was, uh, you know, not that people were all huggy-kissy when Newt Gingrich and, and Bill Clinton were on opposite sides, but they actually, I think, agreed on more than <laughs> than what sort of right. the, uh, the two parties do now. And going back even further, you know, Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan actually worked together on quite a few things behind the scenes, even if they took barbs with people on TV once in a while. And, and But I think we've gone further and further away from that until you sort of have nihilist wings in both parties that are... <laughs> Everything, everything they stand for is being against something the other side does. Even to the point where, where they could have an identical piece of legislation, but if it's put up by the other party, they're going to oppose it, fight it right. tooth the nail. But if it's put up on theirs, they'll support it. Kind of the Romney Care Obamacare thing, where you know, 
if, if it right. had Ronnie's right. name on it. Oh, this is a good practical health care solution. But as soon as, as soon as they put Obama's name on it, oh, no, we can't have this. <laughs> right, kind of right. No, paradox. I, I, yes. And um, I think it's more polarized than ever. Everybody, you know, if, if you say that, some people will say yes, but 200 years ago people were doing duels. Okay, fine. But now there isn't that dialogue between the parties. And I think what I've read and what I remember about the Reagan-Tip O'Neill years was that they they didn't meet. They they may have publicly uh, feuded and spatted, but they would meet. They'd have a drink. They'd talk, and they'd find, you know, okay, you give a little here, I'll give a little here. Can we do this? Um, there's, there's not much of that today, and I think there's a, I think that's a problem. And 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 let me say this, and and to your to you, and, and and I think I understand the resistance. I understand the resistance to Trump. But I think Democrats, and I, I, my personal view is Democrats are poised uh, to do very well in the 2018 congressional election. I think they'll either sure. retake the House or come very close, but I, I, I think they're poised to do very well. But having said that, if they do not take the House, I think the reason will be that it's not enough to simply be of the resistance, that you, you need some positive proposals put forward, because there are districts you can just say, I'm against Trump, and that's enough to get you elected. But there's other districts where you get these swing districts. You better have a good candidate and a good proposal and some ideas, uh, or you're going to lose people. I think that's very true. And And the other part of that, too, is I think even if they do very well in 2018, which I expect the Democrats to do, I think there's a danger that for example, if they did take back the House, that if they don't have something more positive in 2020, that <laughs> that Trump could actually win again. I mean, I think in some ways it's it's easy to run against him now, but if, if they sort of don't come up with an alternative beyond he's bad, his people will turn out in 2020, and, you know, who knows what happens then. And, and I agree with you, too, on 2018, I think, you know, obviously in the really blue districts, running against Trump is sufficient and it's probably a good way to win in the primaries. But in some of those districts that have to be flipped to take over the House, they're probably going to have to do a little better than that because just being against Trump isn't going to, you know, flip those districts. Or it's certainly not going to flip all of them. I mean, there might be a few swing districts where that's, that's sufficient. But in most cases, I think they'll have to do a little more than that. Um, and I guess we're running uh, fairly close to the end of the hour here, so I was going to let people know again that our guest is Wayne Haver's show. Um, if you missed us live, um, you can always re-record our show. Most people actually do listen to Blog Talk radio shows recorded at their own convenience, um, so they don't always catch them live. So we encourage you to do that if you just tuned in now to wait for the tape to end, and then you can um, download it any time you want to to listen to it. But before we go, I, I thought I'd at least leave you with um, some closing remarks and also um, just anywhere people can get more information. Um, obviously, they can order the book probably anywhere that sells books. Um, but also, if there's anywhere to follow you on social media or other things, if if that's something you want people to do or, or have right. um, things they can no, follow, I, please share that with us, too. <laughs> yes, no, I, I, I enjoy social media. Uh, the book, Roll the Dice, is available on Amazon, the best place, I think, to get it. 
It's in some bookstores. I support local bookstores. Some carry it, some don't. Uh, some Barnes & Noble carry it, some don't, but Amazon does. And if you buy it and you like it, please, a good review. And then Wayne, and my last name is A-V, like Victor, R-A-S-H-O-W, .com, my webpage. And I'm on Facebook with my last name, my full name, Wayne Aversho. So I post blogs, try to talk about uh, politics and business and society and culture and and you know, like me on Facebook, and and we'll, uh, you know, we'll exchange ideas. That's great. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. And once again, thank you for uh, taking time out on your Friday evening to uh, join us on Liberal Fix Radio. And I hope our listeners, I hope if you all are listening, that um, you'll uh, pick up a copy of his book and and read it. I I think I, I'm going to go out and get a copy. Um, um, and uh, you know. Uh, run through it, and, and hopefully I'll get to see the movie when they release that, too, if that ever comes to pass. <laughs> so. Thank you, Keith. Thank you very much. Uh, you have a wonderful evening, and once again, thank you for joining us. Um, this is Keith Breckis and my guest, Wayne Abershaw, signing up. Thank you for joining our show, and have a wonderful weekend, everybody. <laughs>